And last week we ended up with Jesus giving about, uh, we're going to be in what, uh, let me see, John 5, 16. And last week we ended up, we are talking about how Jesus fed about 20,000 people and what a miracle it was. Uh, it was not only a miracle for the, you know, for the disciples, but, but 20,000 people were able to participate in this. What an experience with everything that was going on. But I don't want us to forget why this happened. This happened because the people were seeking the truth. They were seeking miracles. They needed help, and they saw the help, and they wanted to get near that help, so they came running and would not leave Jesus alone. And then when they got there, they wouldn't leave. They were around their Savior. These people saw that he was going to go over to the other side of the lake, so, so they booked it around to the other side of the lake. And one of the great things about uh, going to the Holy Land, if we ever get a chance, we'll go again. But, but you can visualize what happened. You can like, okay, he loaded up on this side, and he went over there, and he landed there. And the people, you can imagine it because you've seen it. But they booked it around there. They got over there. And when he arrived on the shore, they were already there. And the word says that he was moved with compassion. I love that. Moved with compassion. He looked at them and was moved about it. He cared about them enough that he looked past what was going on. He didn't allow it to overwhelm him. And this is a good thing to, to learn is, uh, you know, to put our cares and our burdens onto the Lord so things don't overwhelm us because this world can overwhelm us very easily. He was tired, but he was also moved. So he worked through being tired. And he spent all day teaching and healing and providing for the, uh, for the people. And the scripture said that last week that, that uh, he, he said that they, they look like sheep without a shepherd. And he all of a sudden becomes their shepherd. Now, how do we know this? Well, he does what a shepherd does. First of all, he protects them. He's teaching them God's ways. He is, he is showing them how to treat each other. He is hanging around with them. He warns them about certain things like the wolves and, and the false teachers. And he warns them about going in the wrong direction. A good shepherd protects his sheep. Secondly, he heals them. A good shepherd will protect his sheep from, from outside forces, but he'll also heal them. He'll heal them sometimes as a physical healing. And, 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 you know, let me take care of that. Man, I know that you really hurt yourself there. <laughs> let me help you out there. Let's see what I can do for you, almost like a doctor. But also, he heals them, you know, uh, spiritually and mentally. He, he also helps them get past things in life that can bog us down. And some of us have had horrendous experiences in our life that we could just get bogged down in. And some of us go, okay, well, I haven't had that serious of a thing where I didn't get bogged down in, but, but we could easily go that direction. And, and I don't know of any Christian that hasn't been hurt at one point or another. And a good shepherd, Christ heals them in these areas. Now, the only way to know what ails a person is to talk with them, Right? You have to get to know people. Yes, he is God. Yes, he automatically knows what ails us. He automatically knows what's going on in our mind and what's bothering us. But he's also a God that says, come and tell me. Come and have that relationship. 
So I, I think he walked around and talked with many people during this time. The third thing a good shepherd provides for them. He's already protecting them. He's already teaching them. He's already healing them. But he also provides for them. He gives them food, the basic necessities in life. And no one could walk away from this miracle and dispute it. No one could walk away and say, well, that wasn't a miracle because I saw how much food they had to begin with and I saw how much food they had at the end and I know that we all ate. No one can say the bakeries came running with a whole bunch of trays of food. No one can say the fishermen were out in the lake and, and catching the fish and they just kept bringing more fish in. No, it didn't come from that. It was a miracle and he provided it for them in the necessities of life. So a good shepherd will protect them will heal them and provide for them. And this is a great picture of what Christ should be in our lives. The only way to receive these things is to seek Jesus, to chase him down across the lake. To, you know, and, and sometimes the lake can be a big lake, right? But we must get it out of our head. Oh, man, that's, oh, that's a long way to walk. You need to think of it this way. They walked everywhere. We drive, right? Yesterday, I drove out to do a wedding, and, and I literally uh, out, uh, oh, where was it? Uh, San Miguel. So I drove out near Paso Robos and headed out into the hills and, and literally four miles on a gravel road to get out to this beautiful setting that the wedding was, was at and stuff. But, you know, I mean, imagine trying to walk out there, right? I'd be like, oh, no, I don't think so. I, I couldn't make it out there in four days walking, you know. But to meet Jesus, we need to do whatever we need to do to get to him. If that means driving, we need to drive. If that means walking, that means walking. If that means getting down on our knees, that means getting down on our knees. Now remember, Jesus originally came across the lake to be alone, but they followed him. Have you ever tried to be alone and, and people just won't leave you alone? I experience this every now and then with my kids, but my wife experiences this all the time with the kids. You know what I'm saying? Especially, you know, the younger one, you know? Men, we just go out to the garage, right? No one wants to hang out in the garage, right? Okay. But for ladies, oh man, sometimes you just can't get along. Or when you're a boss or managing an office, you show up and, and you don't even get a minute. But thank Jesus that he doesn't get mad and tell everybody to go away, right? He had compassion. So let's pick it up in John 6, 15. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not joined them, or yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened, just like you and I would be. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were, were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, I want to jump over to, to Matthew 14 and read what he wrote about this because it gives us a few more details, okay? 
Matthew 14, if I put this up right. Did I put Matthew 14 in there? Yes. I just labeled the slide wrong. Okay. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if, it's, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, or got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I, in my view, I think Jesus is laughing right here. You know, that kind of that like, oh, come on, you know, why did you even, you were doing so well, you know? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So let's take this story apart a little bit. Jesus put his disciples in the boat and sent them away, almost as if he was in some kind of hurry. And John explains the hurry was that Jesus perceived the crowd was ready to crown him as king. You know, let's, let's shake off the shackles of the Roman government and, and, and make him, you know, they were ready for that king. They were ready for that Messiah. He had spent the day healing and, and teaching and, and he fed all the masses and they were satisfied. They were ready for a change. And Jesus, knowing that that was not his purpose yet, because the time hadn't come yet, they wanted a warrior, a warrior king who would, who would uh, you know, come in on the huge war horse. And, and, and man, if Jesus can do these miracles, right? If he can do these miracles all day long and then feed us, imagine what he could do to the Romans. So instead of standing around and trying to convince these guys, no, 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 not yet, not yet. That's not the reason why I came. He just kind of shut down the whole thing, dismissed everybody. He got the disciples out in the water and he pushed them off and he didn't stay around to allow them to get all stirred up. He's like, okay, guys, let's go. And it was getting dark. Jesus was pushing them offshore and John tells them that, that Jesus wasn't getting in the boat. The disciples were a little concerned, and, 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 you know, and he told them, I'm going to go up to the mountain and pray. You guys go ahead. And he slips off by himself to do just that, to be alone. And this is very interesting about Jesus. If you want to do a study about prayer, study Jesus. Most of the time, he goes off alone to pray. It, this is even uh, more evident, uh, uh, you know, as he gets closer to crucifixion. The more and, more and more times you will see him do this. So Jesus needs to be alone, to be with the Father, to replenish himself spiritually and emotionally. Jesus still hasn't uh, had the alone time to, to even mourn the death of John the Baptist at this point. So he takes this moment. He's like, okay, everybody's finally in bed, you know. 
The wife is on Facebook or whatever. You know what I'm saying, okay? You know, everybody's kind of, I finally have my time. Let me not waste it. Jesus drops everything to be alone and seeks the Father. I think this is a good lesson for us. Sometimes we need to drop everything, not watch TV, not be on Facebook, not do the chores. Don't look at the house because the house is always a mess, right? Don't look at those things and spend some time alone with our Father in heaven. If you want to be like Jesus, we have to be this way. There's no substituting a time alone with the Father. I mean, it's great to come on Sunday mornings. It's great to have the ladies' Bible study or, or Wednesday night and do whatever. That's all great, but you've got to get alone to pray. Now, I'm not saying don't pray corporately either. I'm just saying that you, you, you need to do this. You must do this. One of the reasons why we stay spiritually immature is that we never get along with the Father. We never build that relationship. And if Jesus had time to get away with all the world's needs around him, and believe me, he could see the needs greater than we can, right? Because he sees them all. Then I think we have the time also. So Jesus had some alone time. And while his disciples were out in the lake, they, they get into a storm. And Mark tells us that it was between 3 and 6 a.m., and Jesus saw them straining and rowing against the wind. Now, I've had occasion to be on a lake, uh, fairly large lakes in boats, and I've mentioned this before, where the storm comes up, and it's like a 45-minute uh, uh, full bore uh, now with two large guys in a boat with a 15-horsepower engine. So, I mean, you know, uh, but, but the waves come up, and the waves are going up and down. I've been there with my dad, and my dad, you could see his face is just like scared and, and and you know it's like bucking a bull you know you're just going up and down and you go down into the gully of the wave and you look up and the water's above the the sides of the boat okay and, and it you know we had to go this way to get back to go that way you know and, and making it but I also been in another storm with my dad where it wasn't necessarily a wave storm but it was a lightning storm we're out on the lake and lightning starts up now, this really scared him, and I've talked about my dad before. He would do anything for anybody. He was one of the most gracious men I've ever known, except for at this point. We made it back to the dock. I've never seen my dad get out of a boat so fast and run up into the shed that was near the dock and leave me to tie up the boat, but he was that scared. I tell you. And he was like, just leave the boat. And I'm like, no, I'm tying up the boat, you know. But, uh, you know, being out in these storms on a lake can get you really kind of worked up. And this lake, I mean, uh, the Sea of Galilee, we call it a sea because it is so large. But it's just a lake, but that wind can make it unbelievable. Now, Matthew tells us the boat was now in the middle of the sea or the lake, tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary now, contrary means blowing in the exact opposite direction of what they were trying to do. And one of the things you don't do in a storm is if the storm is coming at you and your boat's a little out of control, you're not going to do this and turn it around and start going the other direction. 
Because that's when you tip over a boat. That's when the boat gets swamped. It's when you turn sideways and it hits you and the boat kind of flips over. You don't do that. So they, these guys know this. They're, they're trying to stay into the wind. And, and you know, uh, in the middle of all this, they look back and there's something that's walking or coming toward them. And the Bible says they cried out, Phantasma uh, este. It's a ghost, they said. Now, we don't know what Je- how Jesus did this. We just know he did it, okay? Could imagine if I was on a boat in the lake and something suddenly appeared on top of the water toward me, I might think it was a ghost or something like that too, you know? But here comes Jesus walking on the water. It's funny how people will believe in God, but they won't believe that he did stuff like this. They will believe that he's creator of the world, but then they're like, how did the Ten Commandments, I mean, or how did all the, all the things happen, uh, not the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Plagues? They can't believe that God did that. They can't believe that God split the water and allowed the Israelites to go across. But they'll believe that God created the universe. They'll believe that Jesus did all these miracles, but how did he walk on the water? Mark tells us that Jesus acted like he was just going to keep on walking right past them. Which is, again, God's sense of humor, I think, showing He's going to beat them to the other side. You know, it's a guy thing. We got to win, right? Even Jesus had a No, not really, but you know what I'm saying. So they're freaked out. They're not getting anywhere. And the water is really rough. And Jesus walks up and it's like, hey, guys, how's it going? You know? And it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The words that he uses here are the words, I am. It's the same words that God uh, uh, used with, with Moses standing before the burning bush. Well, who, who do I tell them that sent me? And he goes, I am. I am. So he tells them, don't be afraid. I am. Now, disciples have a decision to make at this point. Are they going to believe their senses Are they going to believe what they just heard, or are they going to allow the storm to overwhelm them? Because, you know, people just don't walk on water, right? Are they going to look out, and they're going to see Jesus walking on the water and believe that he is, I am? Now, at this point, what's the safest place, on the water or in the boat? That's a good question. That's a good debate to have, right? I mean, inside the boat or outside the boat? Peter makes the decision really quick. In verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Now think about this. This is a really dumb thing to say for a fisherman. You know, he knows the water. He's been out there. You sink, right? Unless you have a lot of, okay, well, anyway, we'll go there. But you know, if it's not you, then don't tell me to come out on the water. I mean, what kind of question is that? Or what kind of statement is that? Now, I've reasoned this one out. This could have been a ghost. It could have been the devil. Yeah, come on out. You see what I'm saying? But Simon Peter is either that impulsive or that intuitive. And I'm not sure which one he is at this point. Because what he's saying is, Lord, change me enough that I will walk on the water. 
I know I've been a fisherman. I know I've fished these lake all these years. I know I've never seen anything like this. And I know what water does when you step on it. And even though all logic says staying in the boat is safer, Lord, if it's really you, then call me to come out of the boat. And the Lord said, come. And Peter climbs out of the boat, knowing better, knowing that his best bet is to stay in the safety of the boat. Peter climbs out of the boat, and he begins to walk toward Jesus. And you know the story. When his eyes get off Jesus and onto the winds and the waves, what happens? He sinks. He starts to go down. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, you know, what does Jesus do? (laughs) No. You got what you deserved. Ye, a little faith, right? Just lets them sink and lets them drown. No, Christ doesn't do that to us. You, you, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I could see the, the disciples in the boat going, man, did you hear that? Little faith. He called them little faith. And then Jesus kind of looks over them and goes, well, I'm going to call you guys no faith, you know. Now, that's not really in the scripture, but you could imagine, uh, you know, the things that are going through their mind. It says here in verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. And one of the scriptures even says, I don't have it in my notes here, but it says, even the winds and the waves obey his commands. That's the God that we serve. So Jesus picks up Peter, and they walk back to the boat, and the disciples are all amazed, and they worshiped him. Who do you think worshiped him the most? I think Simon did. Simon Peter. Everyone else watched the miracle, but Peter was involved in the miracle. And over the course of 12 hours, Peter has now participated in two different miracles, Two miracles where molecules didn't do what science says that molecules do. Two miracles where time and space were were interesting regarding matter. I mean, today we know a lot more about science than we did back then, but not anything more to explain these two miracles and how they happened. If you're willing to step out in faith, especially with the Lord, You're going to see things and you're going to experience things that other people cannot see and experience. All because you stepped out in faith. And you say, Lord, I really want to get to know you. I really want to see how you work. I really want to see how you operate. This is a dangerous prayer. Because you know what he'll say? Either he will say, well, then bring me those loaves and fishes. Or he'll say, get out of the boat and walk toward me. And then we have to make a decision. Am I really going to do that or not? But either way, what is happening is that if you take a risk that goes against your nature. Now, what is your nature? You got to figure that out. Are you a particularly cautious person? Are you a particularly rational person? Do you have to know all the details before you make a decision? Do you have to have it all figured out? Or do you, know, do you tend to figure things out before other people do? Maybe your mind works really, really well. That can be a blessing or a curse. 
Do you tend to rationalize it out and reason it out? Do you tend to argue about points before you want to make a decision? If that's the case, your walk with the Lord can take a huge leap if you're willing to say, Lord, whatever I have in my hands that you want, you can have it. If you want me to walk on water, I'll walk on water. I won't understand how, but I'll do it. That's a dangerous prayer. I don't care if you've reasoned out that this is my lunch. I don't care if you've reasoned out that this is is the boat and it's safety in here. And and I know more about boating than you do. And you were the carpenter from Nazareth for Pete's sakes. You can imagine the disciples thinking, what do you know about boats? What do you know about this water? And yet, walking toward me is Jesus showing me that he does know. And it draws them toward a greater faith. We should be drawn toward a greater faith. Now, what's, what's interesting about this miracle, it's kind of beautiful. Only 12 men observed it. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have waited until we got closer to shore. Maybe people would be outside so more people could see this miracle. You know, walking on water in front of thousands of people, I would have printed out flyers and had a fundraiser, sold a few tickets. Why? Because I would want them to believe, right? For them to understand instantly who I am. But Jesus is so different. He performs this miracle in front of 12. And this is what I really love about the Lord. He's not playing to an audience. He's not trying to build things up. He is just showing them who he is, and that's what he wants to do with us. Because he wants Peter to know, Peter, you can step out on faith if you keep your eyes on me. And when you don't keep your eyes on me, what happens? This is a good lesson for Peter. It's a good lesson for us. You know, there's another storm they endured on the same lake later, and they wake him up to calm the waters. This time he's not in the boat. Why? I think it's because these guys are growing up. He let them out in the boat for a little while by themselves. John tells us the storm ceased when they got to the boat. And the land was right there. So either they were already starting to get close, or immediately the Lord took the boat to where it was needed to be. And this is so fascinating. We're in the middle of the storm, and we're thinking, how am I going to get where I need to go? Because there's a big mess between me and shore. This is the reality of it. We must look to the Lord to solve our problems, our issues, our physical problems, our our mental problems, our spiritual problems. And at the right time, we should go to the Lord because the Lord wants to be involved. This is the life that the Lord wants us to live where everything is not planned out. And some of us, me included, I don't like it when the plan doesn't come together. You know what I'm saying? I don't like it when when I can't figure things out. And, you know, it'll drive you absolutely nuts. You know, I I have to, uh, I got to give that trying the plan thing out first. Because when I do, the Lord, uh, you know, uh, or if I stay with the plan too much, I start to realize the Lord's going to change it anyway right? How many times does the plan come together? I mean, other than the A-team, you know, for those that grew up in the 80s at all. You know, the plan never works out the way you think it's going to work out, right? 
So just give it over to the Lord anyway. Now, that doesn't mean we don't prepare. It just means I don't try to set stuff in stone and make it this way or the highway. And we don't really see this until we get close or we're already entered into the crisis. And that's when we really start to pray and cry out to the Lord. So my advice to you is don't hold back. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him, Lord, bring me into this miracle. Lord, help me be more like you. Because then when you do that, you'll mature spiritually. Some of us are stuck. And the reason is we're not looking at the Lord. We're looking at the winds. We're looking at the waves. We're looking at the finances. We're looking at the health. We're looking at all these other things the world has just dumped on top of us. We're looking at the news too much. I tell you, the news can drive you nuts, right? Shut it off. I'm not saying don't be informed, but don't, don't sit there and dwell on it all the time. Maybe we should be dwelling on the Lord a little bit more, right? Because we know it's going to get bad, right? I mean, I've read Revelations. Have you? It's going to get bad. It's going to get worse. That's okay, because the Lord's still in charge. Well, why don't we stand? Got done a little early today. We'll have the worship team come on up, and we will finish with a song, but let's pray as they come on up. Lord, we thank you so much that in the middle of the storms, in the middle of the waves, that you were there. In the calmness of life, you were there. When we need healing, you were there. When we need to be protected, you were there. When we need to be fed, you were there. Lord, get it through our heads that you were there. Help us recognize that, Lord. For those that feel stuck, Lord, I I pray that, that they would take a step out in faith and look to you and keep their eyes on you. Because what you did with all those disciples, you're willing to do with us as we become more like you on a daily basis. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you when you seek him. May his face always turn towards you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.